Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to uh, another episode of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. First things first, apologies on the delay. And as you will note, the suit is not on right now. And that is because we have been dealing with absolute chaos. For any of you that were tuned into the lock shop, which uh, was live at noon with Dustin Nielsen, we got through the CFL picks. We got talking about Cam Smith getting another winner for us at the British Open on the weekend. And then the fire alarm started going off and it never stopped for a good 20, 25 minutes. So knowing that it would be literally impossible to do the program from the normal studio, I had to uh, jump in the whip and head on over here to uh, Casa Remus and uh, quickly set up an alternate studio to do the program today. So appreciate your patience today. Welcome to everyone. Uh, I did quite enjoy the chat while uh, everyone was waiting for us to get going um was not the plan today we were the suits show is happening can't thank everybody enough for joining us yesterday it was a a record-breaking show for us here on winnipeg sports talk so we will come through for you on that um but it wasn't happening today because of uh basically complete chaos before at my place and now here with remo doing a hell of a job getting everything set up um of course we will hit all the big stories of the day the latest on the pierre luc dubois situation with the winnipeg jets not electing team elected arbitration we'll go to montreal and see what people are saying in uh, in montreal with our great friend mo khan and then fill up the buffet because I think Kenny Weeb is hungry today, and Weeb's world is going to come on a little bit earlier in the week than he normally does to join us to uh, get his thoughts on everything happening around the Winnipeg Jets. Um, of course, a big thank you to the sponsors that make this happen each and every day. We'll get to some thank yous for them a little bit later on, and most importantly, thanks to everyone for joining us right now live on YouTube. And if you're listening to the podcast well, that's one of the beautiful things about the podcast. You don't get affected as much by technical issues or buildings burning down 10 minutes before the show. Let's get Remus in here. Remo, quality work in a uh, a very quick fix to get us going today. Yeah, you called me. I had just got out of the shower, ready to put my suit on, and you're like, uh, what did you say? Oh, there's an alarm going off. We, I got to come over. I said, fine. So I didn't put my suit on. I used that time to set up some lighting for you. Uh, moving cameras, microphones around. We are here. We're on the air. Thank you, everyone. And it was a mile. We have to say it was a milestone show yesterday. Insane. We, we hit 1,000 viewers uh, concurrent. It was incredible. We had over 500 likes. Uh, I think there were hundreds of comment, 100 comments at least after the show. So this is uh, has been pretty, pretty fun the last uh, 24 hours. Uh, you know, we would have loved to put the suits on, but we'll have to do it later this week. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yes, you're right. Uh, to Bravo, Brian. A little bit of a peek behind the curtain. Well, at least the curtain over here. And I wish I had enough time to put in the background this incredible FUBAR poster that is to my left right now. But uh, we'll have some fun with that maybe a little bit later on. Let's get to it, Remo, though. A very slow night in sports last night. Um, an absolute shame just before we get to the jet stuff. I mean, Canada and the United States playing in women's soccer for a spot in the Olympics, the championship game. Um, <clears throat> cannot believe 
that the World Cup champs and Olympic champions are playing and, you know, it wasn't on live TV. And I know there'll be some people, well, hey, well, you should subscribe to one soccer. I get it. Um, the vast majority of Canadians don't watch enough soccer uh, to be purchasing a subscription service for it um, and just a huge miss opportunity. And um, from the sounds of the game, I know most of us didn't see it, a bit of a controversial penalty and Alex Morgan gets the one lone goal of the game and the U.S. beats the Canadians. The Canadians will take on Jamaica um, later on in a, a series to clinch an Olympic spot. Don't worry, our women will be back there. Um, home Run Derby was awesome last night. Lots of fun. Juan Soto won it. Um, but, of course, this is more the most dead time of the sporting calendar, which, of course, means, Remus, everyone is talking about, well, around Winnipeg, the NHL offseason. And, um, well, the reason why so many people were in here yesterday, this Pierre-Luc Dubois saga pretty much turned on fire over the course of the weekend with the comments of Pratt Besson, uh, the incredible reporting from Arpon Basu and uh, Murata Tesh, as well as individuals in uh, in Quebec. Um, and there was a lot of intrigue after our conversation with Mike McIntyre as to what we'd hear from the Winnipeg Jets yesterday afternoon as to whether they would file for team-elected arbitration at the 4 p.m. deadline. Um, I and Mike, I think, was sort of on board. I would have loved to have seen it. Um, I thought there were some benefits for the team if they had decided to go that way in that, you know, yes, they would have to go through the arbitration um, uh, process, which is not fun for everyone. Uh, but I think there's a lot of things about the negotiations right now, frankly, that aren't very fun, at least on the Jets side. Um, and that would be the case for the other side as well. Um, the other thing that I thought would would give them some cost certainty, I mean, whether it was one year or two years, even if it's two years, if you're thinking about potentially trading the asset, Pierre-Luc Dubois at the deadline, the fact that you'd have some cost certainty for next year and two playoffs, um, you know, guaranteed to a team taking them on, I thought might be beneficial. But they decided to not go that way, Reem, and uh, now... We'll see what happens. Um, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois can sign the qualifying offer of $6 million. The Jets could elect to extend the time that they can decide to accept that. Um, and maybe accepting the qualifying offer in their mind makes it easier to facilitate a trade to their preferred destination in Montreal. That being said, right now, no real clarity on this. Dubois remains unsigned. The qualifying offer is out there. And, um, you know, we'll see how this... Uh, this uh, entire saga proceeds over the next little while. I was sort of hoping for the arbitration because we'd have some cost certainty and some clarity and there'd be no chance of a holdout. As of right now, that has not been, uh, that has not been figured out one way or the other. And uh, I guess that just gives us more to talk about on Winnipeg sports talk every day on the program. Yeah. Mike McIntyre wrote yesterday that it counts as what indefinite, um, indefinite, Chaos or chaos or definite <laughs> drama. And yeah, if they went for arbitration, you would have a deadline and you could say, okay, this is going to be resolved before training camp. And someone commented yesterday. So this could be like a William Nylander situation where he waited to the last you know second to sign. I don't think it's going to go that far, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, so what? He can still accept the qualifying offer. Uh, he can still get an offer sheet, but we're not going to have our arbitration. So and if arbitration, Murat was messaging, you know, messaging us yesterday, and he said, "Look, if it goes to arbitration, Dubois could elect a one-year deal or a two-year deal, and a two-year deal would take him, you know, right to free agency." I didn't really see. I mean, he's going to be a free agent and leave yeah. anyways. Like, what's the difference? Do you have to negotiate, renegotiate in a year or not? I mean, you probably would want to take, I think, the one-year deal and then renegotiate again because you think you can get a higher 
dollar next year if you have a better season, you know, better than 60 points in 81 games or, or whatever it was. So, I mean, a lot of people have a lot of opinions, Huss. The chat has been absolutely on fire. And, you know, I said, okay, so what is it? Wired, Dubois, drama, tired, trots watch, and then like expired is, uh, what's up with Mark Shafley? It's been a... <laughs> It's been a crazy. He's all in. Crazy all in, couple mu- couple months. Yeah, Mark Shapley's all in now. So that's old news. So, <laughs> so we go from Trotswash to Dubois drama, and and here we are. And don't forget about Blake Wheeler and his situation going in. The captain of the Winnipeg Jets, the longest serving member of the Winnipeg Jets, the lone holdover from the Atlanta Thrashers move. Um, you know, has been talked about as a uh, as someone that would like a change of scenery, and the Jets have been trying to facilitate that for a number of reasons. But again, as we've spoke before, that's going to be a very tough piece to move. Um, if the jets aren't willing to take salary back, I mean, there could be a potential of bringing back a couple of cl- cl- um, contracts in cap space that other teams want to uh, want to move. That being said, um, any team, if they're going to be squeezing eight plus million dollars on their cap for the next two years for Blake Wheeler, I would imagine would have at least that much coming back to the Winnipeg Jets in a deal. So all of this, um, you know, it was already, I think, you know, probably giving some anxiety to Winnipeg Jet fans, especially considering the expectations of significant change over the course of the offseason. And the fact that we went in to the draft and left the draft without anything significant happening. And then, of course, in uh, in free agency as well. Now, there's still a ton of free agents out there. Uh, and one thing, Rima, we didn't really talk about yesterday that happened over the weekend um, because we were so preoccupied with uh, this Dubois talk was um, Jansen Harkins did get a two-year extension. So, I mean, the Jets slowly chipping away at some of their RFAs. Mason Appleton has elected for arbitration, and uh, he'll be getting a date. Uh, but that will not include Pierre-Luc Dubois. Uh, we spent a lot of time yesterday on that topic as to whether the Jets would do it. They have done, they decided against it which uh, essentially, as Mike mentioned, just sort of continues this situation for without any clarity. And, um, you know, maybe that is positive for the team if they do think that maybe they can work something out, if maybe this is more overblown in the media, uh, which is always a possibility that it is in real life. Um, That being said, I think for a team that needs clarity on a number of fronts, uh, it might have been a missed opportunity to go that route and uh, at least know exactly what the situation is and what you're dealing with, Dubois, whether it's for one year or two years and have no possibility of him not being there in camp, unsigned to a contract. Yeah, we didn't even t- touch yesterday on the Jansen Harkins two years, what, 825K. You do need guys at low salary in your lineup making an impact. However, um, offensively, just wasn't really there. For Harkins, I think at times, you know, you put him on the top line and he did show flashes, but he went long stretches without scoring and without getting points. And that was the big down downfall for the Jets was they just didn't have the depth scoring. And I mean, you look at his, you know, what 12 games in February with one point, you know, eight games in April, one point, you know, 14 games in November for Harkins, uh, one point. I mean, in the first two months of the year. Uh, he had three points in 22 games here. And that's just 22 games. How many minutes do you think he played total in those 22 games? Uh, he actually averaged in those first two months. First month, he averaged 12. And second month, he averaged 10. Uh, kind of went down in March to seven and a half to eight. So he was getting, I guess, more than you would than you thought. But in the production, just it wasn't wasn't really there. So 
look, maybe if he plays with some quality line mates and they go with like um you know more of a balance, you know, you go like put him with Dubois and Connor or something, maybe you can bank a couple points, but they need they need depth scoring. So I think he's got to step it up this year. But to have a guy, you know, regular under contract, sure. I mean, he can chip in and I think he's pretty good defensively. Appleton, I mean, people are I've got questions. Oh, should we be worried about Appleton going to arbitration? No. Like it's gonna be min like another min salary and you hope that he can contribute I, I, as well. I would I would be shocked if it actually gets to arbitration. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're not talking probably about a massive delta between what the Appleton camp is asking for or what the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, you know, you do this so that you have a date and it sort of, you know, gives a deadline to uh, get something done. So I would be stunned if uh, it actually ended up getting to arbitration for Mason Appleton. We'll hit on that a little later on with Ken Weeb. Um, but we are going to go to Montreal and talk a little bit more about the uh, the latest saga involving Pierre-Luc Dubois and the Winnipeg Jets with their good friend Mo Khan. Uh, just before we do that, I want to give a big shout out to our friends at Vita Health Fresh Market. Hey, it's barbecue season right now, and Vita Health not only has uh, the best selection of uh, groceries, organics, beauty products, healthy options for you, uh, but also some amazing Options for your barbecue, including bison burgers, lean bison steaks, and of course, chicken. Uh, if you pop by Vita Health Fresh Market, you'll have a great, knowledgeable staff that'll uh, be help uh, help you out trying to find everything that you need, as well as giving you some great selections. And by the way, some awesome non-alcoholic options as well, including sober carpenter beers and mocktails as well. Um, check them out. One of four, seven locations now in Winnipeg, including the newest store in Linden Ridge. And you can also check out their website online at myvita.ca. And shop online, and or you can pop into one of those seven stores. Check out their great grab-and-go deli as well with Vitamarket soups, salads, and sandwiches. Um, as I said, we were quite disappointed with everything that happened with the fire alarm before that we couldn't do our suit show. I know Remus is very excited to show off his new F apparel suit. I got done up for mine or suited up for mine last week. I'll have it in the next few weeks. But uh, if you're thinking about getting into a suit, there's no other place you should be going than F Apparel. The best prices on custom suits, however you like it, starting at $400 at F Apparel at 190 Smith Street downtown. Um, you've got the ability to get anything um, embroidered on the inside of the uh, the jackets as well. And so many different fabrics and styles for you to choose from. And hey, if you've got a wedding coming up, 15% off for your entire wedding party when you and the fellas get your suits at F Apparel. Find out more online at F, that's E-P-H apparel.com. And of course, the gang at Wallace and Wallace is busy. Um, they are the fencing experts. Uh, pretty much if you see a fence in town, it's probably theirs. Uh, and overhead doors and boathouse doors as well. If you've been jumping around on the lake over the course of the past week and seen one that catches your eye, chances are it's one of theirs. Find out more at wallacedoors.com on everything they have for your little piece of paradise at the lake. And of course, like Remus, who had an issue with his garage door a couple weeks ago, you can always give him a call at 452-2700 for a service call or to come out and give you a free estimate. Wallace and Wallace online at wallacefences.com and wallacedoors.com. And of course, their showroom on Lawson Road off of Keniston. And hey, a big shout out to our friends at Aikens Lake Wilderness Lodge. They're pulling monsters out of the lake. We'll be there in a couple weeks. If you're thinking about a world-class fly-in fishing option here in Manitoba, where you can be on the water in less than two hours from the city of Winnipeg, Aikens Lake is the place. Find out more online at akinslake.com or on all the social media channels at Aikens Lake. All right, 
Let's bring in our guy, Mo Khan. You know, normally at this time of year, we'd be talking Alouettes and Bombers. Uh, we might lead off with the Canada-USA soccer game last night. Uh, but I have a feeling we know what we're going to be talking about with Mr. Mo. Well, let's welcome him in. Mo, what's good, man? How are you? Great to have you back on the show. I'm well, Andrew. Yourself, my friend. Sorry, what's up? I'm well, yourself. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're back on right now. Sorry, we're, oh, uh, we had we had a complete chaos before the show, if things are looking oh. a little different. <laughs> I was doing the lock shop with Nielsen. Yeah. And just as we finished up our golf picks, the entire building I was in sounded like it was on fire. The loudest, most uh, ear splitting fire alarm was going on for about 20, 25 minutes. We had to call a quick audible. Remus set up an extra studio here at his place. So it has been it has been chaos up until this point. But now we're back in the comfort zone. Do what we like to do, and that's talk sports. And thanks so much for coming on. You know what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, you know what? Just give us your take on uh, how is this story being reported in Montreal? Um, and what are you hearing about Pierre-Luc Dubois and his um, his efforts to become a member of the Montreal Canadiens now as opposed to in a couple, year, a couple years when he's an unrestricted free agent? Well, Andrew, like any story in Montreal, when it's connected to the Montreal Canadiens with a player that they desire or the fans desire, it's overblown to say, we're going to rip off this team and get Pierre-Luc Dubois for, for five poutines and a couple bagels and all <laughs> says, then we're good to go, right? So you know, there's no question this fan base is is salivating to have Pierre-Luc Dubois to be part of the franchise. Now, look, he's got two years off of the deal, as you guys mentioned before. If you're Kevin Shove day off, you're not going to be pressured into making the deal today, tomorrow, next week, or next month. This could take a few months, right? And I think for, for the way that Ken Hughes has gone about his business – there's no, there's no secret about that. He definitely has an eye towards Pierre-Luc Dubois and bringing him to the Montreal franchise, whether it's going to be now, next February at the trade deadline, next summer, who knows when, or maybe by the time uh, two years evaporates. So I think for this franchise, if they think Pierre-Luc Dubois is going to be the, the missing link, they're still far away, Andrew, because right now this team is, is in complete rebuild mode. And if I'm Kevin Sheldon-Dayoff, yeah, you, you want cold coffee or Nick Suzuki. That's probably off the table right now. But if you can get a Caden Gooley, if you can get their first round pick next year, which will in all likely be a top 10 pick, probably a top five pick, if anything, um, you want to get that because uh, Josh Anderson, who I think probably is on the back nine of his value, isn't worth it for the Jets. And I think now in this eyeball to eyeball poker matchup with Shelby Dayoff and Ken Hughes, the question now is who will be desperate and who will blink first? to kind of cave into the other one's demands to make this trade happen. You know what's unique about this one, Mo, and I think what's um, sort of ticked off people around here is just the public nature of the way that Paprasson's gone about doing this. Um, you know, you never see players with two years left of team control have their agent go out and do interviews talking about where they want to go, coming off leaking the information that they're planning to go to UFA a couple weeks earlier heading into the draft with, I think, probably complicated things for the Winnipeg Jets in some aspects as well. And then to top it all off, the report that I think probably really rubbed some people the wrong way, that Dubois and the family <laughs> what happened? were at the draft uh, waiting to be coronated as the homecoming yeah. king with the trade <laughs> on the draft floor. And, yeah. you know, from a Jets standpoint, and it's less so applicable to Montreal, but being here in the smallest market in the NHL, in a Canadian city where you have a tough time attracting free agents, the Winnipeg Jets simply cannot be strong-armed into trading a top young player like that 
for anything less than full value right now. And I mean, I really see this as a standoff. I think the Jets realize at some point they likely are going to have to trade Pierre-Luc Dubois, but they don't have to do it right now. Um, his camp has decided to go about the way that they've done it and make it as public. And that might make it more difficult for Dubois to come back to Winnipeg, at least with the fan base, maybe not necessarily with the guys inside the locker room. Uh, but it really is a unique situation that we don't often ever see for players that are two years away from free agency. Yeah, what you're seeing now, Andrew, is player empowerment becoming much more prevalent in the NHL. Uh, you think about 10 years ago, it was, yeah, backs against the wall, you know, team concept first. There was never a thing called player empowerment. We see the NBA, we see it in the NFL, we see the MLB with Juan Soto right now with the Nationals. And now you're going to start seeing it more often with the NHL. And you see what Pat Brisson, who's sort of like the Scott Boris right now, trying to power move his way through with his client to get him to his destination of choice, which is Montreal. And, and you're right, though, right? He's at the Bell Center hoping to get the call that, hey, he's going to be introduced to the Montreal fan base. He'll get the rose petals thrown at him. But I just think when you go back to that trade with Patrick Laine, I didn't know – something was off of that trade. I, I know Dubois has a, has a family links to Winnipeg, but it just didn't fit right, right? This, the whole thing didn't play out well to how it was supposed to be, even though he did decently well last year from the points perspective. But now – and you're right, though, Andrew. The reality is that Winnipeg is viewed as being the Siberia of the NHL. No one wants to come to Winnipeg. No one wants to go to Buffalo because of how it is from a market infrastructure and what you can and can't do in those cities. But it's a great hockey town. There's no question about that. And if you're Kevin Shelby-Dayoff, if you relent now, every agent out there, post-Pierre-Luc Dubois, is going to say, we're not going to send our client out there because we can stiff arm out whenever we want because, hey, things aren't going well. We'll bleep you guys. We're going to leave, out, leave town ASAP. So I think right now you have to stand still if you're Winnipeg and don't make the trade today or tomorrow. Let this play out because at some point there may be other teams who might get into the picture here that might force the Habs to up their ante of what they're offering right now. Well, exactly. And I mean, I know the the common refrain, certainly from uh, maybe a Montreal standpoint, is that Montreal has all the leverage. And, uh, you know, he's going to sign there in two years anyway. So, like, why would anyone trade for him? I got news for folks. People get traded as rentals all the time for significant returns in the National Hockey League. Never mind the potential of trading a player to get two playoff runs and a full season, which sort of brings me back to yesterday's decision by the Jets not to file for team elected arbitration. And I realize it's very rare that that happens, but this is also somewhat of a unique situation, much like the Matthew Kachuk one is. And right. I think that if the Jets had elected to go to team arbitration, it may have been a little bit more of a hard line stance against um, Dubois and Pat Brisson, but at the same time, they'd have their cap certainty for whether it be one year or potentially two years, which would be taking him to UFA status. But I'm not sure that doesn't make potentially a trade to a team other than Montreal maybe a little bit easier knowing exactly what the cap hit is going to be, not only this season, but for yeah. the upcoming season as well. And let's face it, two years, Mo, is a long, long time. A lot of things can change. The situation in Montreal two years from now will be incredibly different than it is right now. So you can't just assume that this is a done deal, fait accompli, 24 months from now, um, which all adds into one of the more interesting offseason stories around the league. We already had a bunch in Winnipeg. I don't think anyone was counting on this to develop over the course of the last couple of weeks. No, think about it. Just 12 months ago, the Habs were bounced by Tampa for the Cup in Game 5. And today, here we are talking about the Habs. first overall. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> Crazy how it's been. Right. But, but you know, if you're the Jets, you're, you're absolutely bang on, Andrew. The, the leverage play is not in the Habs corner. I, I know people in Montreal think it is because Ken Hughes can probably, you know, they think he can swindle others out there and make trades because he got rid of Weber and cleared up cap space. But remember, the Habs also have to get rid of cap space to make this trade happen. And, and, and you're throwing in guys like Josh Anderson. Dvorak, uh, you know, Paul Barr has been mentioned in, in, in rumors if you read the Habs world and it has been brought up and stuff like that. But but again, for Shovel Day off and how this has played off for the Jets, it's not what you want going into into what's supposed to be the quiet part of your NHL offseason going towards <laughs> well, it, There's nothing, to be, dude, there yeah. is nothing quiet about this offseason. The, way. There the only thing right? that's been quiet <laughs> is the actual moves made, certainly not the expectations for it, and the issues the Jets right. had at the end of last season are still there, and this is added on top of it, which I think has given some of the uh, stress that the Winnipeg Jet fans are feeling right now uh, coming out of the weekend with this on top of everything that happened with what happened with Shifley at the end of last season. And of course the captain Blake Wheeler, who's apparently requested a trade and the yeah. team's trying to get it done as well. Yeah. And here's the thing, right? Whatever the trade happens, let's say Montreal's a team that makes a trade with the Jets and you look to balls have fans in this city who are going bonkers, apply riots by, by 5 a.m. next morning here. But if the trade does not include the Habs' first-round pick next year or Caden Gooley, then I would say it's a loss for the, for the Jets because that's what's desirable. After Suzuki and, Co- and Caulfield, which is not going to happen, you have to look at the top-end prospects for the Habs because Pierre-Luc Dubois is, what, 23-24? He'll be 26 by the time he hits UFA. He's entered the prime of his career. You have to get value that's going to say to the Jets fans out there, that we have ourselves two potential building blocks here, whether it's a goalie, whether it's another prospect, and maybe that first-round pick next year. Because, Andrew, you know, I know, Remus knows, everyone knows next year's draft class is loaded. And if that Habs pick ends up being maybe Connor Bernard and it goes to the Jets, yeah, I, I trade people to ball for Connor Bernard in a heartbeat if I'm the Jets. Well, yeah, I mean, listen, it, it would be more of a lottery ticket, but I think there's a good exactly. chance that Montreal's lottery ticket will be much better than most others. But I am interested, just in your perspective, I mean, ah, I mean, considering where Montreal finished this season and what's happening going into next year, even if they had Pierre-Luc Dubois, I think there's a good chance that they're going to be a lottery team as well next season. And, 100%. you know, considering the potential that you would be trading away, if I'm the GM in Montreal, um, as much as I love Pierre-Luc Dubois or almost any other asset, I don't know if I'm moving that first-round pick. And then, I mean, Caden Gooley, player we saw him play with Edmonton this year the yeah. uh, the Oil Kings I mean what a talented young defenseman that he is um you know for a team that is already in a rebuild I mean I would be surprised if they decided to move off either of those players which frankly might mean that Dubois and Brisson sort of overplayed their hand yeah and, and look last week or two weeks ago the draft no one thought Romanov would be traded to the Islanders and he was right no, no one thought Kirby Doc would be coming would come to Montreal and be a hab and he is and, and that's why for Kent Hughes, he's starting to lay down uh, his his ink right now on this franchise and how, who he's acquired, who he's let go, who he's moved off of. And, and with the trade with Mike Matheson coming back home to Montreal for Petrie and, and Ryan Paling, the biggest knock for this franchise, Andrew, is the lack of development of pat, former first-round picks since 2006. They've traded now 12 former first-round picks to present day. And, and that's why... 
a guy like Kaden Gooley, who many people in the Habs organization believes will be a legit top four, if not top two defenseman by the time he reaches the prime of his career, is a guy you don't trade off of. And that's where, again, you go back to that point that I made before. If you're Shovel Day off, you know that you can get value for, for Pierre-Luc Dubois. You have to play hardball if with Ken Hughes because also Jeff Gorton is in this process too. He's not going to stay, stay silent on this whole negotiation process because he'll give his two cents. So if you're Ken Hughes and how you play this out here, again, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe by training camp, maybe by December or, or next February for the trade deadline, you pull the move. But you have to be able to stick to your principles for both GMs and not relent too easily to get someone that you may not want in your whole system moving forward. Yeah, no doubt. Mo Khan's with us from TSN 690 in Montreal here on Winnipeg Sports Talk discussing the uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois situation with the Jets, of course, the Montreal Canadiens. One more question from a Habs perspective. Um, I know that they certainly outwardly said, hey, you know what, we've got our plan, we're moving forward and you know we're fine to be patient on this, much like the Winnipeg Jets are saying. How how incentivized do you think the Montreal Canadiens would be to get Dubois in the fold now as an RFA with the ability to sign him to a long-term deal this summer as opposed to waiting a couple more years for him to grow into his prime and what that might mean to the total value of the contract and what they'd have to pay the player one or two years down the road? Right, so let's look at it from this perspective, right? We have language arts in this province, French and English. The Francophone fan base would love to have Pierre-Luc Dubois, and, and he's expressed desire to be playing for the Montreal Canadiens, and not many guys from the province of Quebec want to play here. Look at Jonathan Drouin. He, he said he wanted to come back to Montreal, and, and unfortunately for him, his career has not panned out in the city, and, and Circuit Chess won two cups with Tampa in that trade return. If you're Pierre-Luc Dubois, you're coming into what is pretty much scorched earth of expectations. And I think for this franchise, if you're going to pay Dubois seven and a half, eight million, he better put up. And I'm saying, Andrew, he's got to put up 30 goals, 80 point seasons because you have Suzuki at eight plus million. You have Pierre Dubois at least at seven, if not higher, uh, for an average salary per year. You better hope this guy pans out because you don't want this flame in your face. Because for Ken Hughes, unlike Mark Bergevin, given again that Bergevin had almost a decade plus with this franchise. He cannot make the wrong move because of the fact, we go back to the language arts, Ken Hughes isn't uh, a, a francophone, a, a bilingual GM, that he cannot make the wrong mistake because if he does, it will be microscoped by the media, the fans, and others outside of the organization to say, well, is he the right guy to do it, given that he has a lack of GM experience to work with? So that's why this movement is, could be a, a seismic move for this franchise. But they got to make sure it's the right one that's done for this team that's going to help build the organization because, again, you will have Suzuki, Caulfield, maybe Pierre-Luc Dubois, Kirby Doc as your foundation pieces for the forward lines. But if that's the case, it better be right because you don't want to lose on this trade moving forward. Yeah, uh, and you know, I would think, I mean, in, in, in some ways, and certainly if you go back to the reports of what they expected to be happening, at least the Dubois camp at the draft, I imagine that that fell through and the pivot by the Habs was to the Chicago Blackhawks to make the trade for Kirby Doc at that point. Um, you would think that a player like Doc would certainly potentially be on the table, um, you know, maybe to come back and Dubois going into that role. Um, yeah. But again, you can't have too many centers. And to your point, I mean, if the Jets, if this entire scenario, and I'm not saying that it has been, but if it has maybe changed their view of, are they going for it this year or 
Is it maybe speeding up that rebuild a little bit more? Um, maybe it is one step back in the short term losing Dubois right now. But if you could get your hands on some of those assets, as you mentioned, the Canadians first round pick next year, not Florida's the Habs pick next year, yeah, 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 of which is important to note um, <laughs> as well yeah. as a guy like Caden Gooley. Maybe you do that. Um, I don't think, would you agree? I don't think there's any chance of an offer sheet just based on the cap situation right now for Montreal, as well as the fact that I don't know what you could possibly offer Dubois that the Jets would not match. Um, and again, you'd have the cap certainty going forward. And I mean, then you might still want to trade the player, but at least you'd know what the deal is. And the other side of that is if you made such a big deal, you're talking about multiple firsts, the Jets might be more than happy to say, go for it. We'll take those picks and uh, go forward ourselves. Yeah, I don't think it, uh, an offer sheet would be done because if you remember two summers ago with Sebastian Ajo done by the Canadians and Mark Bergeron, I thought he had him locked in. And the Hurricanes said, well, bleep you, we're going to keep him. And what did they do two years later? The offer sheet, Jesper Kakiemi, and look what happened afterwards, right? So I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think Ken Hughes wants to put his neck on the line on that first offer, that bold move that could backfire in his face. So it goes back to being like an alligator, right? An alligator can go two years without eating food. That's what's going to happen now for Ken Hughes. He'll be like an alligator right now, just waiting in, in, the, in, the, in the swamp weeds over there. And once the time is right to attack, he will. And we'll see by then if, if Pierre-Luc Dubois will be a have, whether it's now or two years down the road. You know, um, Dubois is interesting. I just want to get your perspective on this, Mo, in that, you know, he came in as the third overall pick, went to Columbus, demanded a trade, got his way, came to Winnipeg, said all the right things. And, you know, especially the first half season that he came, both he and Line A did not play very well. It was one of those trades that I don't think really worked out for either team. Last yeah. year was different, though. I mean, Dubois was a dominant player at times. Um, he was one of the players that I think you could count on showing up night in and night out. The given F level that we talk about a lot that was lacking maybe in some players was there in Dubois. And he showed a lot of promise that I think made a lot of people around here think that he could be part of the real future core of this team. That being said, now that we are where we are with uh, seemingly working for another trade in less than two years, um, and then the pressure that comes with coming to Montreal, how big of a risk would it be if the Montreal Canadiens decided to pay the asking price of Kevin Chevalier to get Dubois in at this point in his career, not ignoring the fact of what's happened in his first two stops in the NHL? It would be bold. It would be courageous. The Habs gave in to the demands of the Jets for, for Pierre-Luc Dubois. And this, again, you know, and Winnipeg is a hockey mad market. We know that. Montreal is a cycle market when it comes down to the love of this team. And here, look, Dubois, if he came to Montreal, if he won on a three-game scoreless streak, they would want him out of here. And, and that's going to be the mental challenge for any local kid. And he's about, he, and he was born and raised about 45 minutes north of Montreal uh, from where we are, from where I'm located, actually. The expectations will be heightened. And again, you can ask any local player, born and raised Quebecer, yes, they love to play for the Montreal Canadiens, but the ideal world for them, the heightened expectations uh, being bestowed on them has not worked out. And we can talk about the plethora of guys, the lo local guys who have come through your high expectations, the Joe Jurens, the Louis LeBlanc, former first-round pick from the 09 draft, never panned out. So these guys have so much on their shoulders. Jocelyn Thibault, when he got traded for Patrick Watt, never panned out. So that's why this... I, I wish the fan base here in Montreal would just temper the expectations. But if he came here, 
they're going to expect 30 goals in 80-point seasons at that salary he would command with this organization. Yeah, and listen, I think he's totally capable of that. And to be honest, I mean, I think that's where he projects to be uh, next year in a couple years. Let me hit you with this scenario, though, because I think this has a lot to do with what the expectations are in Montreal. Um, You know, they had this terrible season last year. They were at the bottom of the league. They end up picking first overall in the draft. How different are the expectations for this team going into this season where they are right now, Mo? Because what I'm imagining is what happens if Pierre-Luc Dubois continues to click with Kyle Connor, who scored 47 goals last year, and he gets out to a great start. And, you know, hopefully the Jets are winning some games and they're a big, big part of it. And then Montreal starts off at 2-11 and 11 or something like that. Like, will the pressure in the market for not getting things done in the summer, will that ramp up on management to maybe make some sort of a move? Or is next year another one of those seasons where the expectations are low enough that they wouldn't maybe be pressured into reevaluating what they're willing to give up for a player like PLD? Oh, they're already on to Conor Bedard. <laughs> Forget about training Gavin in the regular season. They're on to Connor Bedard, right? They want to finish Owen, whatever, and get Connor Bedard into the fold next spring. Look, fans understand this is not going to be a, a signing cup run. They understand this is going to be a rebuild. Um, it might be a little bit longer because of what's happening. You think back to their game five loss to Tampa last July. Only one defenseman remains from that starting lineup, Joel Edmondson. And you bring in the fact that, hey, you're, you're going to go with the younger line for your forward line to so move forward up ahead here. Uh, you think Caden Gould could be a part of the uh, day one lineup? We'll see. But there's a lot of question marks. And let's not forget, Andrew, Carey Price's health going to training camp because there's that expectation that if he does come into camp, he's not going to play 65-plus. He probably will play minimum 50 to 60 max per, per for the season coming up here if he's healthy. And if he's not healthy, it just adds, it adds to the burden of the plate for Ken Hughes with what he can do for this franchise. And I think they want to get off more salaries. If they can do that and shave off more off the cap here, they will be players in the free agent market next summer and two years down the road, which Pierre-Luc Dubois could be available by then, and we'll see by then. But I think Habs fan base now is okay for the direction. I think the media and others out there are going to give a shorter lease to Ken Hughes if this fails dramatically in the first two years. Yeah, well, as patient as the both general managers can and will be, uh, the fan base and certainly the media, especially in Montreal, does not share that patience. And uh, that will be interesting because I don't think the story's going away anytime soon after you have public comments the way we've had from Pat Brisson and the reports of what's happened over the last couple of weeks. Hey, I just wanted to ask you quickly, you mentioned Carey Price. Do they expect him to play next year? Is it still completely up in the air? I mean, um, what what do we know about Price, where he's at right now, and the Habs' expectations of whether um, their longtime goaltender might be actually in the net this year? The Loch Ness monster. We don't know, right? Is it real? Is it not real? Is he coming back? Is not? Is he coming back? Who knows? It, there, was a, there was a report by Stu Count of the Gazette last week about the about the future of Carey Price and what could happen with him. I think the Habs expected to be at camp. Uh, again, like he played five games last year, went one and four, didn't really do much, got banged up, uh, re-aggravated the knee injury that he had. I think moving forward now for this franchise, for where they want to be, Andrew, they hope to have him there because it kind of gives them that uh, short gap here to let this team allow Katie Primo to develop in Laval and come up to Montreal eventually because for Carey Price – who wants to end this on his own terms and not be forced out by a knee injury that has handcuffed him since last year's cup run against Tampa. 
Mo, always love having you on the program. What? Uh, how the? Uh, how's the play-by-play going for the hoops? Uh, what's going on this summer for you uh, away from uh, your very popular visits to uh, the boys in the peg? <laughs> well, Montreal Lions will play Newfoundland uh, a double dip Friday and Sunday in Montreal. Then they go Newfoundland next week. They have to win out their final games on their schedule to perhaps sneak into the playoffs for the CEBL playoffs. Uh, the final four will be in Ottawa in mid-August. And I'll be busy, Andrew. Like I got this now with the Habs, CEBL with the Alliance. Got the Nationals coming up for basketball in early uh, August. Alouettes, it's never any story with those guys. If Kari drones no longer there, what they do this week against Ottawa. So there's a lot going on in Montreal when it should be a quiet time in the city of Montreal. Hey, you know what? I, speaking of the Alouettes, just on the way out, I've got to ask you. I mean, yeah, that choke job last week against the Elks was an all-timer. <laughs> um, you know, for that to be Danny Machocha's first, uh, first like, what is the situation with the Owls right now? Because they're far better than their record shows. They found incredible ways of losing so far. Um, but, I mean, we're now well into this season. I guess the good thing is the East is just so bad. You're just a couple wins away from turning around and having a home playoff game. Yeah, so in the last 10 months, I've witnessed two crazy finishes. Um, McGill losing to Concordia when they were up 33-11, lose by three to them in overtime. The Alouettes last week. Let's not forget, Empton had six lost points in that game. Missed field goal, missed extra point, and missed two-point convert, and still won by one. The reality is now for this franchise, and Dan Chocha get them back on track? Because after that onside kick, is when karma came in and flipped the script on the Alouettes. He's got to get the discipline thing in, in check here because guess what? After Ottawa, you got Winnipeg coming up, and that's a home game on August 4th here. If they lose that game badly, it might send this ship in a very, very dark abyss of what could be a very long year for this franchise because, again, this team here had high expectations. Gary Stern, the owner of this team, expects great cup. And right now, they're nowhere near that expectation moving towards the month of August. Gary Stern might settle for another couple Twitter thousand Twitter followers in the in the meantime. We'll see. <laughs> hey, dude, always love having you on the program. Let's yes, do sir. this again soon. Enjoy the games. And uh, obviously, uh, you'll be our go-to guy for things going on in Montreal as this saga continues on through the summer and into the season. Appreciate it, my man. Have a great week, pal. Right on. There it is. MoCon. Give him a follow on Twitter at MoCon19. Mocon, our great friend from TSN in Montreal. All right. The buffet is set up. Weber is ready to go. Uh, before we do that, I want to give a big thanks to our friends at Culligan Water, the water experts in Winnipeg, locally owned for over 65 years. They've got you covered with softeners, filters, coolers, whole home systems, and drinking water systems, not to mention citywide water delivery services and commercial and industrial water products and solutions. Whether it's for the home, the cottage, or your office, Culligan is the spot, 1200 Sergeant Avenue, 694-5180. And you can check out everything they've got online for you at drinkculligan.com. Speaking of Montreal, I should have mentioned this to Mo. I actually took a picture of this last night. I was out with Greg from Royal, and he had one of those sweet Montreal Royals hats. Um, some of those unique, new, old minor league hats that we uh, had showed on the show last week. Absolutely gorgeous, but uh, Royal is packed. New stock coming in for the fall right now, the upcoming football season. Great selection of bomber gear. Obviously, thousands of pieces of Winnipeg Jets merchandise and your favorite teams from around, the majors, NBA, National Football League, CFL, and NHL. And on top of that, the biggest hockey department in the city and an expanded soccer, softball, baseball section for the summer. Tons of bikes fitness gear, disc golf, tennis, whatever you need to dominate summer and make the most of it. Royal Sports has it. Pop down and see them at 750 Pamela Highway and check them out and follow them on Instagram at 
Royal Sports Pemina for the latest merchandise drops and upcoming sale information. And of course, a big thanks to our friends at Manitoba Battery. Manitoba Battery is the premier place in Winnipeg to save you all your battery needs, service, service all your battery needs, because they're going to save you time and money. Don't waste your time parking at Costco or going to Canadian Tire and dealing with staff that really don't know the battery game like the folks at Manitoba Battery. Shop local, save time and money, and they'll deliver to you within the per within the perimeter at no extra charge. Find out more at manitobabattery.com or go see the gang down in the coolest JetBlue building at 1026 Logan Avenue. And you can always give them a call, 783-8787. Big shout out to our friends at Manitoba Battery. And uh, well, you know, perfect time to bring Ken in. I know his Manitoba golf tour is in full effect. Want to give a shout out to our friends at Not Autocorp, the title sponsors for the upcoming Manitoba Amateur, which is at Elmhurst. On Thursday and Friday, was hoping to get out there and actually do the show there. They're doing some work with the tech in Elmhurst, so we'll probably get maybe Munzee on for a little bit of a report. But good, uh, good luck to everyone, and of course, thanks to Not Autocorp for their great support of Winnipeg Sports Talk. If you're looking for a vehicle, why not get into the car of your dreams at a great price with the help of the Not team? Pop down and see them, Waverly and McGilvery, or online at not.ca. I know the Breezy Ben gang giving a, a big good luck to all of their contestants. And, uh, of course, they just had the Manitoba Junior winner. We'll see whether we get an amateur winner from Breezy Bend as well. Let's bring uh, Ken Weeb taking a quick break. Uh, Ken, normally you join us a little later on in the week. I couldn't help but notice the forecast for the week <laughs> where it was a little rainier today than... The other days of the week, by any chance, did that have any influence in you trying to see, could we possibly schedule our visit for Tuesday afternoon? Uh, Andrew, you, you know me very well. Yes, uh, definitely involved in a little bit of golf here coming up this week. So um, there yeah, you go. Thanks Ken. For, sorry. Thank, you, thank, thank you for getting me. Oh, sorry. The volume was not not high enough. Uh, Speaking of the good folks at Breezy, we uh, we did have the latest media challenge. I believe you maybe touched on it with Mike McIntyre yesterday, but uh, the course at Breezy looking fantastic. And as you mentioned, they've got lots of candidates in the field this week at the Amateur. Should be another great event. Uh, yes, there will be some golf on the agenda this week. Uh, Grand Pines Wednesday, uh, Granite Hills Thursday, and Falcon on Friday. So I uh, appreciate you squeezing me in here uh, during during this this fine Tuesday that had a hundred percent chance of rain for the afternoon. Well, I listen, I'm glad you guys got out there yesterday because as I indicated on Friday night at the game, the chances of you and the rest of the media group making that eight 52 AM tea time on Saturday, highly skeptical, uh, but it was raining this morning, just the way that that worked out. Anyways, Ken, by the way, we were all, we were all up in time. We were all up in time, but it was a, it was a fantastic evening at IG field. Yeah, you know what? Just sure. quickly before we get into all this, yeah. I mean, I know you were usually talking hockey. I mean, what a night that was at IG field. I mean, incredible matchup between two undefeated teams. And I got to tell you, I mean, I know there's some areas in the Canadian football league that have been suffering, but that was what it was all about. Summer uh, evening, Friday night, packed house, close to 30,000. And those fans were into it and they got treated to an incredible game between two of the best teams in three down football. Yeah. Bang on Huss. And, and as you know, yourself, I mean, the tailgates were rocking early before the, before the doors opened, And then you had just an absolutely great showing by two of the elite teams in the CFL. I mean, the play goes right down to the wire. The game goes right down to the last play. Uh, fantastic defensive effort. I think in a lot of ways for both teams and 
Uh, obviously, the Bombers' defense stepped up when when it mattered most, as that has been a common theme throughout the last three seasons that have been played. Uh, I thought the offense was pretty solid for the most part as well. So uh, just a fantastic game. And Hustle, let's be honest, I mean, these two teams are going to clash, I think, two more times in the next month. So, uh, I mean, those two games could go a long way to determining who wins the West. Obviously, the Bombers uh, in a great position right now, but there are some teams pushing them. And, and that's what a team needs. I mean, when you're an undefeated team, you want to be pushed and you want to have to try to be better every week. And we know the Mike O'Shea mantra. I mean, it's 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 trying to be 18 weeks of 1-0, and and so far they've been perfect so far. But obviously they've had some room to improve, and they did show a lot of that improvement uh, on Friday night. Well, uh, the uh, it's all good news for the Bombers, less so for the offseason for the Winnipeg Jets. And God knows <laughs> we've spent a weekly basis talking about, you know, the end of the season, what changes people expected to make. We've heard plenty of reports on what the team has been trying to do, specifically involving Captain Blake Wheeler. I don't think anybody saw um, the developments on the Pierre-Luc Dubois scene. And to me, now that we've heard what we've seen reported by our friends at The Athletic and certainly Radio Canada in Quebec, um, I now go back to the leak of the going-to-UFA news to Elliot Friedman a couple weeks ago um, it's, it, let's just say that Dubois and Pat Brisson are taking sort of a unique path right now and a public one, um, that you don't often see on RFAs with two years left of team control. I mean, uh, fill us in on just where we're at right now and your perspective on everything that's taken place. Yeah, it's interesting. Huts. I mean, obviously it's created a lot of drama, both in this market and in Montreal. I mean, with all the you know, various little morsels leaking out. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I'm not as, uh, you know, in the freak out stage as many are, Huss. I think in some ways there have been parts of the story that have been overblown. And that's not to suggest everything is uh, Which is perfect here. <laughs> I just don't think that it's, uh, I do not think the Jets and Pierre-Luc Dubois are headed for an immediate divorce. I don't think they're anywhere close to the point of no return, as I wrote in our July Jets mailbag. Uh, I understand what Brisson has said. I and mean, yes, there have been leaks about, you know, wanting to play in Montreal, but at, at no point, and again, let's point to the Patrick Laine scenario as a great example, because it's the most recent example, Huss. At no point have you heard Pat Brisson or Pierre-Luc Dubois say, I think the two sides would benefit from a change of scenery. We have not heard those words spoken yet. We have not heard Pierre-Luc Dubois say he's unhappy in Winnipeg. He's unhappy with his level of ice time, which we know he shouldn't be. His ice time is on the rise, and it might be even higher next year, uh, depending on how things go and how, how much Rick Bonus plays four lines. So does the guy want to play in Montreal at some point in his career? No one would deny that. Not Pierre-Luc Dubois, not you, not I, not the Jets, not Kevin Cheveldayoff, not Pat Brisson. At no point has anyone said he needs to be there immediately. And this is a two-way street, Huss. I mean, we've we've talked, we've been, I've been in Montreal. I've spoken to people who cover the Canadians. Kent Hughes is, you just talked to Mo. Kent Hughes is not going to move heaven and earth to get Pierre-Luc Dubois for this season based on where his team is at. So to me, I don't see Pierre-Luc Dubois being anywhere other than in the Winnipeg Jets lineup for opening night. I understand some people are concerned about a potential no-show for training camp. I mean, Huss, that only hurts the player. Yes, that would hurt the Jets, but that only hurts Pierre-Luc Dubois if he doesn't sign a contract before then. And I know what you were talking about with Mike, and Mike and I were talking about it a bit on the golf course yesterday. I mean, if the Jets were concerned about Pierre-Luc Dubois not showing up for training camp, they would have been the ones filing for club elected elected well, arbitration let's talk about to that. ensure that he would have shown up. Let's Don't talk about think? that. Why? Um, well, yeah, 
and that's why I was pretty adamant. I thought that the move, considering everything that's happened for the Jets, would be to go to team elected arbitration. Why do you think they didn't? What's the benefit to the Jets on leaving this situation open right now? Sure. I mean, what I would argue was if the Jets were concerned and thought they were in a very a, a tough spot, they would have filed. So to me, I don't think the situation is as uh, potentially damaging as some people do. And again, could I be wrong? Of course. But us, I, you just got to follow the breadcrumbs. The breadcrumbs would suggest that the two sides have an open-ended conversation happening regarding what the next contract is going to look like because they're not going to arbitration. As I mentioned, I mean, it obviously doesn't help the Jets if Dubois is not there. We saw what happened when Jacob Trouba wasn't there for the start of the year. In a lot of ways, you and I would argue the same thing. Not having Trouba until November uh, 11th, that cost the Jets a playoff spot that year, don't you think? So the Jets can't afford to not have one of their top two centermen in the lineup for a month or two before the December 1st deadline arrives. So to me... I think that there's probably more going on behind the scenes. Uh, I don't think that Dubois is in a Montreal or bust situation. I mean, could the Jets overplay their hand just as though maybe Brisson has? Of course. But what we know for sure is this. Dubois, in order to become an $8 million player, needs to produce that 30-goal, 80-point season that Mo Khan was just talking to you about, that you and I have been talking about for two years. That's what's going to make Pierre-Luc Dubois all the money that he wants to make in his in his career. And you can't be scoring 30 goals and 80 points if you're not in the lineup. And if you miss a month or two, now you're playing catch-up for the next month. So it's only problematic for the player. So is it also problematic for the Jets potentially? Sure. But if Dubois, this is very simple. Pierre-Luc Dubois shows up. He's got Kyle Connor riding shotgun. That is Pierre-Luc Dubois' best opportunity, Huss, to become a 30-goal, 80-point player. He's playing with one of the best snipers in the NHL, if that's the case. And if that happens, either the Jets are having success or Pierre-Luc Dubois is traded before the deadline for two playoff runs, and that would maximize his asset management value. So would the Jets prefer clarity before the season? Of course they would. I think they're going to have clarity, but I think that clarity involves Pierre-Luc Dubois playing the role that he played last year as a leader on the team, as one of the top six forwards, and as someone who plays probably 20 minutes a night and has you know, full engagement and accountability. We've seen, I know all the, everyone's going crazy about the shift. Pierre-Luc Dubois went out of his way, Huss, when he was acquired by the Jets to say that was one of 2,000 shifts he's taken in the NHL. We haven't seen a shift like that since, and I don't anticipate you or I seeing another one if he's playing for the okay, Jets. I in the agree. Fall. I agree on all of that. Then okay. why the hell is Pat Brisson peacocking in the Quebec media? And we're hearing that. I mean, they were there thinking that the deal was almost done. I mean, we're not stupid. That doesn't come out of nowhere. I mean, it's quite obvious that they've been trying to work that not in two years, but now everything you just said is absolutely correct. However, it doesn't entirely add up when we see what has happened and everyone has been hearing coming out of the province of Quebec for the last two weeks. Yeah, totally fair house. But what I would also counter by to some people who aren't paying as close attention. I mean, it's not like Pierre-Luc Dubois flew in from the North Pole to Montreal. The guy lives in Montreal. So, I mean, the reason why he went to the draft, you know, we know what the reports have said. Uh, you know, we have heard no clarification, nor have we heard a denial. So, 
where there have there been talks between the Jets and Montreal? I think they have, there have been, but I don't think that those deals are anywhere close to being finalized. And I would even counter this. Us. I think that both sides know now more than ever that a deal is not happening right now, which is why we haven't heard really much since the draft has taken place. So is that, is that a reason for someone trying to get the, the power back on their side? I mean, both sides had an opportunity to get more, you know, potential flexibility, right? In terms of the player could have elected, also the team could have elected. So we're still at a standoff. It's a staring contest. I agree with you 100%, but I do not see enough evidence to say that these two sides are headed for a sure divorce. And as I wrote in the mailbag, I mean, players know this is a business. If people think that a lot of the Jets are sitting here pissed off at PLD because he potentially wants to go somewhere else, well, get in line. This has happened probably five to 10 times in the last five years. And, you know, it may upset fans, and rightfully so. Players understand it's a business. Pierre-Luc Dubois is a player in that room. Until his effort level dips and it impacts the team, he's going to be viewed exactly the same way as any of the other guys who may have asked for a trade before him. That's just the way that it goes in pro sports. Yeah, here's, I guess, the bit of a counter. I don't disagree with all that. And I mean, that that's probably what has been so disappointing from a fan standpoint that this has come out is that Dubois was one of the guys that was there all year last year that I think people were counting on to really be part of this next generation of young leaders going and kind of taking over that mantle for guys that have been doing it for a while. Paprasson's no idiot. I mean, he knows full well that saying what he said in the fashion that he did is going to <clears throat> paint Pierre-Luc Dubois in a very different light in the city of the team that currently has his rights right now. And I'll say this, you talked about overplaying his hand. If this is going to go the direction that Dubois is a jet next year until we hear differently and he's coming in, they did him an incredible disservice in his public perception amongst jet fans with what's happened over the last couple of days. And that's directly on their camp and his management group. That's nothing on the people here in Winnipeg and certainly not on the jets as a team. Well, I mean, again, what you just said about Dubois is the reason why fans shouldn't be worried about Pierre-Luc Dubois' effort. If he gave that kind of effort under the toughest circumstances, why would he suddenly change his tune? That's just not the way that he's wired. So to me, I, I totally get it. I mean, there are some things that have not added up or made a whole lot of sense so far. Pat Brisson's one of the most respected agents in the, in the National Hockey League. He's not going to risk his reputation over trying to force an NBA-like move with one of his clients, right? This is a guy that has represented some of the top stars in the National Hockey League. So, again, a lot of us hustle when there are when there are situations where not all the information is made public. We often tend to draw our own conclusions, and to me, that's what I'm saying. I don't think that Pierre-Luc Dubois is here kicking and screaming and doesn't want to ever play another shift for the Winnipeg Jets. So, but again, it's up to him to show that that's the case, right? So what I think personally, I think Pierre-Luc Dubois should go on the offensive. I think he should be doing interviews saying, hey, this was, you know, we don't, we didn't paint the entire picture here. I'm fine with being in Winnipeg, but again, he needs a contract, right? So get a contract signed. I'm with Mo. I do not see an offer sheet coming. I mean, we're guilty of this in the media all the time, Huss. I know not yeah. all of us, but the, the offer sheet is a media machination. I mean, there's been what, three or four of them in the last decade plus. So 
if the Canadians wanted to offer sheet Pierre-Luc Dubois, they would have done it already. So I don't see the threat of there being an offer sheet that's made. And as you mentioned also, the Jets would match almost any term and any dollar value of an offer sheet that any of the teams that could want to make one could afford to make. So, again, an offer sheet would be doing the Jets a favor, to be perfectly of honest. Of course. And honestly, it doesn't help. It doesn't help Pierre-Luc Dubois get to UFA status. And if that was a concern, again, he could have filed his own. This The drama will continue. I totally let me get just, it. Let me just go back to what we said, because I still I'm interested in your perspective on what the benefit of the Jets was. Because I know you said, oh, they're not headed for a divorce. I mean, I disagree. At some point in the next two years, they're headed for a divorce. Oh, sorry, I said immediate divorce. Yeah, exactly. So most people think Dubois is not going to play for the Jets again. And I'm here to tell those people to step away from the desk, man. We we are nowhere close to that being the case. So I agree with you. I agree with you on that. Unless Montreal ups their offer, the Jets get their socks blown off by an offer for Pierre-Luc Dubois, they're going to wait this out and be patient. That being said, if you take them for their word that in two years, Pierre-Luc Dubois will be going to UFA or be traded beforehand, a trade's going to happen at some point. Sure. So why would they not elect for team arbitration, go through the process, get clarity on whether it's one and potentially two years? Now, yeah, maybe that does walk him right to UFA. To me, that might be a benefit, especially when you're trading him essentially possibly at the deadline to a team that can get him for two playoff runs, but also have the cost certainty of knowing exactly what he's going to make the following year and not have to go through the entire process of signing an RFA in his final year before unrestricted free agency. Yeah, for sure. I mean, again, if we're looking at recent examples, so let's look at Jacob Truba, right? So Truba's situation was one year out, but what happened with Truba? He got traded to his desired location and immediately signed an eight-year deal. So, sorry, seven-year deal. Uh, so, again, a lot of things can happen in two years. I understand where you're coming from. I mean, the cost certainty would be a big factor, A, for the Jets, and B, for the player. If the player wants to make himself more tradable, he's going to have to agree to a number that a lot of teams, whether it's Montreal or another contender that thinks that they can use him for those two playoff runs can afford. So as a player, if you're trying to expedite your way out of town or the process of getting yourself out of town, you are going to have to give up a little bit in the in the scenario. Right. So and do what what did Dubois do with Columbus? He took less money on an AAV to help facilitate the move. So are we headed to the same thing right now? It's possible. But to me, Huss, I think it's a one-year deal instead of two, just to sort of kick the can down for both sides. If By the end of next year, Dubois will show if he's a $6 million player or an $8 million player, provided he is healthy for the whole year and performs at the level you and I expect him to perform at. There are a lot of other mitigating factors involved, and a lot of them are related to his play and his attitude. I don't see his play or attitude being a problem. Look how he played at the World Championship. Look how he played down the stretch. I mean, he led the t- led the league or was near the top of the league in penalties drawn and penalties taken. Would he like to eliminate some of the penalties taken? Of course. But you cannot argue that Pierre-Luc Dubois did not give if, in his effort last year. But is the, argument, he- is the argument that if they, if they went to arbitration, 
because of the process, if it actually got to that point and it was elected, team elected, and the Jets are somewhat playing hardball right back at sort of what they've been right. getting from the other side, that that might affect the relationship going into next season? You might, like, is that the worry? Because, again, I still don't, like, to me, the clarity and certainty of going through that process for the Winnipeg Jets would be an advantage for this season and possibly the following season um, you know, if they know that there's no chance that they're signing this guy to a long-term deal, why don't they check that off the box, know what the value of him is, and make sure that he's in camp and there's no chance of a holdout? Like, I just, I still have a hard time wrapping my head around why this was a better idea for Winnipeg to go this route as opposed to electing for arbitration like the Calgary Flames did with Matt Kachuk. Sure. I mean, Kachuk is only one year out, though, right? That would be the difference there, Huss. But I know where you're coming from. To me, arbitration is an uncomfortable process for both sides. So even as you mentioned, even if the relationship is probably over in two years, you are risking the short-term uh, you know, immediate future by going to arbitration and saying the things that may knock down the, the value. And if you're the player, Huss, it's like we've talked about from the beginning. Even though the AAV was $5 million last year, Pierre-Luc Dubois made 6.65 because his deal was backloaded. So I don't think an arbitrator is going to say 29 goals and 60 points is worth north of $6.65 million. So if you're going to only get a contract that's in the sixes anyway, why bother going to arbitration if you're the player, right? And it's only an uncomfortable situation, and it only damages the relationship both in the short term and the long term. Huss, I know where you're coming from. Clarity would probably be the better better deal for both the player and the Jets. But my counter again is I don't think that they're that far apart in whatever negotiations have been held to this point that either side thought that they needed to get an arbitrator involved and add that extra layer of drama to the process rather than you know, that's great. But I mean, at least if anything, it sets a deadline and you could you could agree to a sure. deal before then. But listen, if this doesn't like do does anyone want this dragging on? Like it's already going to be a big story when training camp starts and you and the rest of the media can decide who you want to ask for first between Shifley <laughs> and Dubois and Wheeler if he's still around. Um, but there is Kenny. Hold on for one second. By the way, huge crew yeah. again here for the show today, folks. If you haven't already and you're new here, hit that red subscribe button and Join us daily. We're Winnipeg Sports Talk here, focusing on all the big sports stories every day, but especially focusing in on Winnipeg, the Winnipeg Jets, the Blue Bombers, and more. Um, and if you do listen on podcast or maybe you've checked us out for the first time on YouTube, go to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your feeds, and just simply hit the red subscribe button. It's completely free, and you have fresh content from us each and every day, audio in and around 3.30, and we're live every day here on YouTube at 1 o'clock p.m. Um, just before we get Ken back in here. Uh, I do, of course, have to thank our friends at Little Brown Jug. Big cheers to another beautiful weekend. It's going to be hot going into the next one as well. Nothing better with a hot Manitoba summer weekend than a rack of 1919s from Little Brown Jug. Or check out all their great summer beers and the summer variety pack available at your local beer store. Or pop down and see them at William Avenue at the uh, Brewery and Tap House. Get a few pints in you and uh, take home your favorite Little Brown Jugs. You can also order online at littlebrownjug.ca. Um, All-Star game tonight. Slow night for uh, for sports watching. But, of course, we got a doubleheader on Thursday. Boston Pizza is the place to be. Check out their brand-new summer menu, including Carnitos Tacos. And 
the pizza flights are back as well. And of course, you can check out their game day deals and order online at bostonpizza.com. It's blizzard weather. Nick and Nikki DQ are busy right now. We've had some fun talking about the vanilla blue bombers, but uh, the best vanilla, the best everything when it comes to ice cream is at the Nick and Nikki DQ group. DQ Niverville, DQ Northgate, DQ Polar Park, and DQ St. Anne's. Pop in for a blizzard tonight. Check out the amazing new Stack Burgers. And uh, if you do need a cake for an upcoming event, hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba. They'll get a custom made for you to pick up at your the uh, convenience at any of the four Nick and Nikki DQs. And with it being so hot out right now, maybe you had one on the weekend at the Bomber game, but the Canadian Club and Ginger Ale is the drink of the summer. And the best thing is you don't even need to mix it. It's ready to drink in six packs at your local beer store. And of course, along with all the great Canadian Club products at IG Field for every Blue Bomber game, as Canadian Club is the official spirit of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. All right, Weber, um, this does create an interesting situation for the Jets in that, you know, the talk around here and really, I mean, I don't know how many shows I've been on today of people calling <laughs> want to talk about this, um, but it's relatively slow elsewhere. It's not here. Well, it's been slow up until this point. I mean, what do you make of where the Jets are right now, considering everything that, you know, Kevin Sheveldayoff legitimately has to get done? Um, you know, he has been very patient and I'll credit them for not you know, being taken advantage of. This team cannot trade assets for less than their value. Um, but how difficult do you think it is going to be for the general manager over the course of this next six to eight weeks to do what they want to do and actually get it done? Yeah, it depends what he wants to accomplish, Huss. And, and as we've talked about before, I mean, people go to Puckpedia or Cap Friendly and see, oh man, there's a lot of, a lot of available cap space. Well, at least 6.5 million of that is going to Pierre-Luc Dubois, half, basically half of what's left. So it's hard to really get involved in other conversations unless that is taken care of or unless Blake Wheeler's situation comes to fruition. And I still expect that he'll be moved before a training camp. I mean, that's a situation where when both sides are looking at facilitating a deal, there is urgency for that to happen. But it's a complex deal and not a lot of teams can afford it. And unless the jets are either going to provide a sweetener or be willing to accept to eat some of the salary, it's hard for a team to fit $8.25 million, especially when the player has the limited no trade clause in his operation and that he can lean on in this situation. But I think that both sides will find a way to get that done. Um, to me, the interesting thing would be this, Huss. I mean, we one of the biggest free agents still left out there is Nazem Kadri. Um, if Pierre-Luc Dubois is not here for the long term, Kadri would be a guy who brings a lot of the same elements that Dubois has brought, but he's already at the level. Last year, he was an 80-plus point player, right? Kadri is the finished product of what the Jets would like Pierre-Luc Dubois to grow into, including the edge that he plays with and all of those other things. But... Kadri's a 31-year-old player, right? So are you comfortable going six or seven years on Kadri if you can clear out the money to get there? That's what we know. The Jets were interested in Nazem Kadri when Jacob Truba was being shopped. And I think Kadri said no to both the Jets and the Calgary Flames, which was his right with the limited no-movement clause that he had before finally accepting the deal to go to the Colorado Avalanche, which worked out well for all parties. I mean... That's when Nazem Kadri was on a contract that paid him $4.5 million. Now he's looking at a deal that's going to be $7 million plus. Does Kadri potentially change his tune to go to a Canadian team? 
now that there's maybe a team or two that could afford to pay him. That's something that I'll be keeping my eyes on. Do you have any idea whether the Jets have been sniffing around on Kadri? I mean, I imagine they'd make cursory calls like every team would, but I mean, that would be such a departure from what we expect from Winnipeg to try to get in to, um, you know, to get in. And I mean, I know there was that report out of mile high hockey. We of course went back late Friday night and listened to the entire 32 podcast to find out what they were talking about. And there was no mention of Winnipeg. So I'm not sure whether that's come, but if you have different information, would love to know it. No, I'm not saying that the jets are on the, on the short list. What I'm saying is if I'm Kevin Shevel day off, I'm making the call to get on the short list um, again, but it's always up to the player to decide. Uh, I'm just saying that if you're looking for alternatives, that would be one that I would be looking at. But I mean, the fact that Kevin Sheveldayoff openly talked about legacy contracts and we know he was referring to Blake Wheeler. I mean, now are you willing to hand out another legacy contract? It all depends on the term us, right? Five years at six or seven million for a guy who's 31. I mean, there still would be some risk, but Kadri is at it. He played at an elite level last year, right? So why do you think he's unsigned right now? Like it's I'm, very I'm interesting. surprised. I mean, I mean, he was basically right up there with the top guys after good. Totally. totally. I mean, uh, I think Kadri's still going to get what he wants. I mean, Darren Ferris has been very patient with his clients. Look what happened with Marner. Everyone thought Marner waited too long, and all of a sudden he made $11 million. So uh, I think they're just waiting for that second tier of the market to unfold. And, I mean, I just saw on the old Twitter machine here, my colleague Eric Francis just was on uh, radio in St. Louis saying he expects a Matthew Kachuk deal to be made within a week or two. So deal is in uh, trade or contracting trade. Yes. Trade. So he thinks they're headed to a second divorce after losing Goudreau. And if that's the case now, suddenly now, suddenly if you're a Calgary, maybe you're, you're comfortable going beyond the five year uh, number that maybe has been thrown around so far. Now, again, things, the dominoes have to fall the way that they fall, right? Us. I mean, there's been a bit of a log jam for not just the jets, but some other teams, but what we still know about the Jets, never mind what they're going to do up front, we know they're trying to improve up front. For all the talk about running it back, the Jets aren't as good up front as they were last year. They won't have Paul Stastny, at least not at this point. They won't have Andrew Kopp. And they may be moving a guy in Blake Wheeler that had 60 points in 65 games. So even with some of the young guys who deserve an opportunity, there's no way you make the argument to say the Jets are better up front than they were last year, at least not at this point. So that means one of those guys on the back end or two of them potentially need to be moved, whether it's one of the young guys or more likely one of the veterans. We've been saying this for three months now, us that we expect one of these guys to be moved. The fact that it's taken so long tells you one of two things. The market's not as wide as we expected, or Kevin Sheveldale has been extremely patient and has his eyes on certain other players. So one other thing, again, and I, this is we like we don't want to get people all riled up, but if we're talking about speculation and potential, the Colorado Avalanche have been trying to find a way to get Nazem Kadri to stick around. If they do that, that would mean moving someone like JT Comfer or Sam Girard, just based on how well Bowen Byram played during the playoffs. I mean, would the Jets be interested in someone like Sam Girard on the back end? Well, it all depends on the cost, but. That's a high, high-end player, a top three defenseman who potentially could be available. And again, I'm not saying Chris McFarland is out there trying to get rid of Sam Girard. He's not. But if the right deal is out there and it allows them to bring back Nazem Kadri, I think all things are on the table because the Avalanche clearly, based on the moves that they've made, are trying to run it back the same way the Tampa Bay did the, 
the year before that. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Gerard because that has been something that a number of people have brought up in the chat and hit us up on social media about. And I'm like, well, listen, I mean, in concept, great. But the, I mean, I know we've spent a lot of time talking about Dubois and Chifley and Wheeler and what things are looking with the big boys up front in those moves. The Jets have added a bunch of depth defensemen and still have all of the veterans and all of the young players. How does this get resolved, Ken? Yeah, that's the big thing that people should realize that those defensemen that were brought in are moose players unless they win, steal a job from someone. So I don't really see that as being an yeah, issue. They're like they're below 10 on the depth chart. I know just the depth chart. I is mean, Capo Bianco could push for to be the seven or eight guy if that. But I mean, it's a two way in the first year, one way in the second year. Well, and Ashton Sautner is obviously a moose player. Yes, he got some time in the NHL, but these are depth guys. They are the, you know, nine and 10 guys in the organization. So people that think that the Jets are trying to, you know, yell out of the megaphone and say, look who we signed here. These are depth signings. Every team makes depth signings every year. So the fact that you're interpreting it differently, that's that's Listen, a you problem. The Jets, the Jets social media team had their work cut out for them in and around free agency. <laughs> I mean, I really felt for them. Hey, listen, shout out to them for the Steny and the Jets uh, tweet that they put out. But, I mean, listen, that's their job to say, hey, this is what we're doing and have a little fun with it. But the bottom line was it was very, very quiet and those were depth sure. signings. But it gets back to the point, and this doesn't change anything. You know, you've got Logan Stanley, Dylan DeMello, Brendan Dillon, Neil Pionk, uh, Josh Morrissey. I mean, all of those, all of the Jets defensemen that had been together last year, Dylan Sandberg, Billy Hainala, Declan Chisholm, Johnny Kovacevic, who's not waivers yeah. exempt anymore. Um, how did they figure that out? Uh, I would imagine something has to give beforehand. And to be honest, I may be more surprised that we haven't had a little bit more clarity on the blue line at this point than maybe a bigger deal that's tougher to move with a player like Blake Wheeler. I agree with you completely, Huss. But what I would counter to that is what if some of those defensemen are involved in a larger deal, right? Whether as a sweetener as or in a sure. three-way deal with someone that can can you know uh, you know account for some of the money. Uh, you know, like a potential three-way deal with Arizona. You mean maybe one of those defensemen has to go to Arizona if Arizona retains 30 to 50% of the deal, right? So I know we often talk, oh, well, Arizona could afford Wheeler. Well, yeah, I mean, but it's unlikely. Blake Blake wants to go to a contender, but you may have to use a team like San Jose or Arizona in order to facilitate the deal and make it happen. Uh, but, I mean, I, I'm with you. I, I'm surprised a deal hasn't been made on the back end. But that doesn't mean that deals aren't being discussed. I mean, Kevin Cheveldev can say whatever he wants, and he's right. And we saw it firsthand. You'd rather have too many defensemen than not enough. We saw that the year after Dustin Bufflin's surprise retirement. However, the Jets can't protect all of them. And there, as you mentioned, too many of them are not exempt from waivers. So that means a deal is going to be made. It just hasn't been made as quickly as people wanted it to be made. That doesn't mean a deal is not coming. And I have to believe there could be two deals coming, whether that's one young guy, one veteran, or two veterans. But uh, what we know is this, Huss. Rick Bonus is known for his ability to help speed along the process of young players developing. So that's part of the reason he was hired. So everyone who thinks that it's automatically going to be the way that it was before, it's not the case. I mean, there are going to be room, there's going to be room made for Billy Hanel and Dylan Sandberg provided they are still with the organization, which we expect them to be. That means the other players have to be moved out, and those players will be moved out. Again, not as quickly as you or I or the fan base would like it, but 
There's no consequences for you, I, or the fan base. There are consequences for the guy who resides in the general manager's chair. So I think that's probably why he's been patient. But I can't see a scenario where they don't get this resolved before the season starts. Because, again, we look at recent examples. Look what happened in Vegas when they had 11 defensemen chosen in the expansion draft. They didn't get the same value they were hoping for when they went to flip some of those players. So what we also know is this, Huss. I mean, Jacob Chikrin. We all thought Jacob Chikrin would be moved by now as well. So I think there still is – there's obviously going to be a market for defensemen. Eric and Branson, after a good year in Calgary, made $4 million on a multi-year deal. Brendan Dillon makes 3.9. And I have a hard time believing that a lot of teams would rather have Eric and Branson than Brendan Dillon. And that's no offense to Eric and Branson, who played his third-pairing role to a T last year and was a very good penalty killer and a heart and soul guy for a team that won the Pacific Division. But, I mean, Brendan Dillon does a lot of those things as well. And I would imagine that the same contenders that were interested in acquiring him at the trade deadline would be interested in acquiring him now, depending on what the price tag is. And the price tag is obviously going to be significant. Otherwise, a trade potentially would have been made already. You know, it, <laughs> I just have to laugh. I think about doing this show and having our conversations literally 12 months ago after Dylan and Schmidt were acquired going into free agency. And it was like, all right, we'll see you guys at training camp. And I mean, there wasn't really a lot to talk about with the Winnipeg Jets. The list of topics, starting with the most nuclear ones going down the list, um, are all still there. Which brings me to the other question, Ken, that no one really talks about right now. We knew that they wanted to improve the bottom six a little bit. You know, you've got the RFAs. Svechnikov didn't get a qualifying offer. Paul Stastny seemingly is moving on elsewhere. Um, how active do you think we might see another few signings of the Winnipeg Jets when it comes to waiting out this market and adding some bottom six players? Or do you think that the changes there might come in the forms of some of these trades that we've just been talking about that obviously have been worked on and discussed behind the scenes that haven't come to fruition yet? Yeah, I think it's a combination, Huss. I think there's still a couple of players that would would be of intrigue. And I mean, I mean, I think of Danton Danton Heinen or a guy like Sonny Milano. There'd be some interest there in terms of some secondary scoring. Uh, but I mean, they haven't exactly flown off the board either. So, uh, you know, the I, market's sure strange guys, right now. I mean, there's a lot of guys right is. now, and we knew this was going to happen with the flat cap. The big boys, Johnny Gaudreau is going to get his money, even if he took less to go to Columbus. But the real squeeze of the market right now is on the middle class and the lower class before it was just on the lower class, but the middle class right now is getting squeezed. And I think it's quite clear that with the cap space situation, there's a lot of teams that would like to have these guys on their club, but they don't have the space to get them on the roster right now. And it's probably making for some nervous conversations with players and their agents right now and very limited options. Yeah. And the big thing for me is the middle class is getting squeezed, but it's not, we always used to think it was the veterans getting squeezed and having to accept league minimum deals. But now it's that now, now if you're in your mid twenties, you're still also looking at not getting qualified and maybe having to take a one year show me contract. I mean, look at John Klingberg, John Klingberg thought he was looking at eight by eight. He's still unsigned. Right. So, I mean, it's a really interesting market. And as you mentioned, I mean, until the cap starts going up significantly, this is going to be a recurring theme for general managers. Everyone's looking for a bargain. And that's why too, I think, we mentioned Arizona a few times. I'm very curious to see how this Lawson Krause scenario plays out. Lawson Krause is a 20 goal guy 
big, strong, you know, not a prototypical power forward because he's not a big banger and crasher, but he can score and he, he plays a you know strong game, even though he's not an overly physical guy. I mean, does Arizona want to pay Lawson Krause five or six million dollars or whatever it's going to cost four and a half to six? I don't know in a rebuild. So is he an RFA he, right now? RFA. Yeah. And he filed for arbitration. So, I mean, how does that situation play out? And and if the Jets clear out some room, do they take a run at a loss of Kraus? And maybe you get one of those defensemen on the move there. Or maybe you move a young guy. I mean, there seem to be a bunch of different scenarios that could play out in terms of maybe a three-way deal. But like I said, these things, it seems more complex than ever, Huss. And that is partly because of what you just mentioned. Flat cap world. Cap only goes up by a mil. And the other thing that we don't know yet especially with a team like Arizona moving into a 4,000-seat facility. I mean, are they going to be much higher than a salary floor team? And how many other teams are in that scenario where they're not a ceiling team, and but they're closer to the floor? And that's what really – that's where we see the squeeze with a lot of those free agents and guys who need new deals. There's The pie is dwindling because not every there's not as many teams at or near the ceiling as we're used to seeing, even though the – Cap has only gone up a minimal amount. Well, and I think that fact right now, and that's not a theory, that is a fact of what's happening with the market, I think kind of complicates the Jets' challenges of trading Blake Wheeler, especially if they think they're going to get him off the books without retaining any salary. I mean, the only way I could see that happening is if the Jets find a trade partner or potentially a three-way deal where the Jets are trading away eight whatever million dollars of Blake Wheeler's salary and bringing back a five and a half player and a three and a half player or something like that from another team. And maybe at that point, that third team that's facilitating it gets, you know, depending on where they're at, maybe gets a younger player, a prospect or a pick or something like that for facilitating the deal. Because the bottom line is there are not a lot of teams, especially contending teams that even have the ability, never mind the stomach, to add a player as productive as Blake Wheeler has been with that ticket for not just one, but two more seasons. For sure. And that's why, too, I mean, a team like Boston, I'm not saying that Boston would want a reunion with Wheeler. I don't know. Ken, hold on a second. You're muted. Can you still hear me? I think I think I am. Sorry. I don't it, know what listen, happened. It, it looked like a beautiful Beautiful trip to the buffet, but we caught literally <laughs> none of that right now. So uh, I don't know if you're able to reset and just go back to where you started. Sorry about the wheeler. Are we at wheeler? Where are we at here? Well, yeah, I mean, just the fact that, you know, the that there are quality players out there that are probably yeah. available to be had for relatively bargain prices on the market. And I think that certainly makes it that much more challenging to maybe move that pro, uh, that contract, especially uh you know, if, if you are not planning on taking it. And listen, if I'm the Jets right now with the openings uh, at forward, I mean, I'll take a three or three and a half million dollar player as opposed to eating three and a half million dollars. I mean, I think it behooves them and makes sense to at least have an asset as opposed to just wasted money. But again, easier said than done when you're putting that deal together. Yeah, for sure. And I look at a team like Boston Huss. Look at the guys on the back end. They're going to be missing on LTIR at the start of the year or on or at least on on IR I mean they're missing half their defense core so uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out but uh definitely something we're going to be keeping our eyes on for the next uh, few weeks and months it's supposed to be a quiet time of the year but uh we're basically on call for that next move and for that next shoe to drop. Well, and that's the funny thing I can just imagine like all of you guys with the uh, media golf rounds I mean uh <laughs> 
not- notifications turned on and carts in effect in case you have to like drive immediately back to the vehicles and uh, and get on it because this is I mean it's so different Ken than pretty much any other off season we've had there might have been one issue or all oh, Jacob Truba's unsigned those sort of things but the uncertainty about the way this roster and things that still I think in the best interest of the team need to happen are significant. Um, there's still a lot of time. I mean, as I said, patience, not a great virtue of most fans. Um, but at a certain point, um, you know, things have to get done and uh, we're getting into a very interesting spot. Hey, one more before we go. And this is sort of where the team is at right now. And I think we've both spoken that, you know, we do expect some significant changes to happen before. Um, but for all the talk about the locker room last year and the divide within the team, the fact the moves that have happened so far, you've lost the nicest guy in the league in Eric Comrie, who I think was a calming influence and always had a smile on his face, and that was good for the room. You've lost the guy that I certainly believed was the conscience of the Winnipeg Jets in Paul Stastny. And even to a lesser degree, I mean, Svechnikov potentially not being back after not being qualified, a guy that seemed to be quite popular and lighten things up. How much is that maybe compounding the job for Rick Bonus when he gets in, depending on who's left? But, you know, some of the guys that probably were the best influences in that locker room, considering what happened last year, are not there. Um, this is uh, this is a big job for Bones, and, uh, and he's going to have to lean on all of that great experience and the positivity that he brings, I think, to start uh, a new feeling in and around that. And I think it might have even gotten harder based on what's happened so far this year. Funny even too, Andrew Kopp is one of the leadership core group members as well, right? A guy who, you know, told it like it is and uh, was mostly an upbeat guy as well. It obviously had a serious side to him, but this is very simple, Huss. I mean, you're right. I mean, things when things aren't going well, it's not fun to be at the rink, but there are still a number of guys who I would consider to be strong leaders on that team and that have upbeat personalities. Uh, I mentioned before Brendan Dillon. I think one of the reasons why Brendan Dillon hasn't been traded uh, is that the Jets know how valuable he is as a culture carrier. So uh, Nate, Nate Schmidt, obviously, is the energizer bunny, keeps things pretty upbeat and light. Josh Morrissey um, has a serious side, but he's more on the uh, you know positive side as well. And uh, again, when the team is winning, it's a lot more fun being around the rink. And the Jets, quite frankly, have to get, have to get back to doing some winning. Uh, otherwise that cloud that's been kind of hanging over him or hovering around uh, is going to remain there. I mean, and I think that Rick Bonus has a, the perfect demeanor and temperament to establish the right mood going into training camp and into the season. But ultimately it's about results, Huss. And if those results aren't there, then, you know, who knows where it goes. But uh, I do think that Rick Bonus and Scott O'Neill and their staff is, are going to do a good job of getting the buy-in that's required. And the other thing too, we've talked about it a lot over the years, Connor Hellebuck, can erase a lot of sins and warts. And if Connor Hellebuck is at an elite level, I mean, the Jets are going to be a contender for at least a wild card in the Western Conference. Um, do you think that what happened in Calgary with Johnny Gaudreau um, affects all the way the Winnipeg Jets go forward? I mean, the addition of Dubois into this potentially being traded in the next two years, I think has sort of compounded the fact that they were already in that situation with Mark Shifley and with Connor Hellebuck. Um, you know, we'd speculated yesterday that maybe everything that's happened is sort of a push into a route that they weren't really planning on going, and that might be rebuilding sooner as opposed to later and going, giving your best with that group right now. Do you have any feelings on that, Ken? 
I do, Hassan. We've talked about it a lot over the last you know six months. As long as Connor Hellebuck is employed by the Winnipeg Jets, a rebuild is not happening under any circumstances. Uh, I don't see it. Uh, could it could it impact the way you make some decisions in terms of what you're looking at for long term deals or maybe who you commit to or I mean maybe some of this stuff means you commit earlier to Cole Perfetti like you did with Nikolai Ehlers. But to me, as long as Connor Connor Hellebuck is a top five goalie in the National Hockey League and probably a top two or three goalie uh, when he's really on his game. I just don't see a scenario where the Jets are saying, hey, let's uh, you know try to run it back in three years from now, because then your guys like Kyle Connor, Nikolai Ehlers, and Josh Morrissey, now those guys are near the end of their deals. So unless you're hitting the lottery, unless you win the lotto and get a Connor Bedard, I mean, what are you really doing? What are you really hoping to get out of it? I mean, I understand the murky middle is a very tough place to be, and that's one of the things we heard. Huss, you were on the air in Calgary a ton. One of the things Calgary was always worried about was being in the mushy middle, right? Last year, they win the division. Now what's happened since? Well, they've traded or they've lost Johnny Gaudreau and are potentially trading Matthew Kachuk, who's one year out from UFA status. I mean, the Jets have to be cognizant of what's happening, but Rick Bonus wasn't hired for a rebuild. And no matter what happens with Pierre-Luc Dubois or anyone else, I don't see them doing anything but trying to contend. I understand there would be a small segment of the population of the fan base that might be up for a rebuild, but after going a full season without having a single sellout, I don't think fans are ready to say, you know what, let's see the latest five-year plan and we're going to support you throughout that whole time. I just don't see it, Huss. I think the Jets have too many good players that are in their core group that they would more likely to try to... Well, here's the thing, though. The, the clock is ticking. I'll advance oh, totally, it to it's it. Totally 12, month, 12 months from today. Sure. 12 months from today. Is Mark Shifley a Winnipeg Jet and is Connor Hellebuck still a Winnipeg Jet? I mean, right now I would say yes, but I, I don't know that without no. If the Jets flop and fall on their face this year, then now they're having to look at asset management. But if the Jets are somehow uh, back to being an exciting team and play an exciting brand of hockey and are in a playoff spot, or if they're in the top three in the Central, or if they're a wild card team, I mean, it all depends on on how they do on the ice house. But those are guys they've looked at long term. I mean. Connor Hellebuck has found money. He's a fifth-round draft pick who became one of the best goalies in the National Hockey League. So, I mean, the Jets are obviously going to try to keep him, especially since they don't have an heir apparent in the system that's ready to be a number one guy. Uh, so I would say it's much more likely the Jets would be leaving some of this money open to try to sign Connor Hellebuck long-term than they would be looking at moving him. But again, it all depends on how this team gels, what the buy-in is like, how Rick Bonus does as head coach. And, and when it comes to Shifley, Huss, you know my feelings about this. This is probably the most important season that Mark Shifley has had in his entire career. More important than when he cashed in with a long-term deal. More important than the year after. This is a year where Mark Shifley puts his stamp on the National Hockey League. Are you an above-average player or are you an elite player? You've been an elite point producer for six seasons. This is the most important season Mark Shifley will have. Everyone knows what's being talked about. Mark didn't have the required defensive zone effort last year that was required. This year is the most important year Mark Shifley has had in his entire career. I expect him to be the best version of himself. If he's not the best version of himself, then there will be questions about his future. That's how I look at it. Well, I mean, the questions about his future are already there. I mean, oh, <laughs> they no, were sure, there at the I mean, end of the last season. No, you're right, though. I mean, it can go one of two ways. Um and I think that, you know, never mind here in Winnipeg, uh, I think that there is a job for him to almost sort of resuscitate his reputation as a top player 
um, but also a guy that, you know, can be counted on um, and really be a leader for this team. And that'll be a very interesting, interesting uh, story heading into the year as well. Weber, well, we hit on a lot. Uh, much appreciated for jumping on. May you keep it in the fairway and keep shining up that Winnipeg media title belt the next time you put it on the line with the fellas. It's always great to be with you and uh, awesome job getting over a thousand people in the chat room yesterday. Uh, tremendous. Well, thank you, PLD, and thank you, Pat Brisson. We should send them a card <laughs> or some chocolates or something like that. Hey, it's great to see. I mean, we know that the space is an interesting one and uh, keep crushing it. It's always fun to to uh, chop it up. And uh, that was an enjoyable way to spend the last hour. Loved it. Loved every minute of it. It was. You're the best, pal. Uh, have a great one. And uh, let's do this again soon. Yep. Talk to you soon, my man. Thanks All right, there uh, for accommodating the golf tour as well. <laughs> Appreciate it. No problem. No problem. Hey, listen, just keep on sending me the results. We, uh, we're following it closely. Ever since Billick's shocking upset win earlier this year, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of excitement every time you guys head out there, but uh, you're going to be playing some great courses this week. <laughs> Yeah, and in wrestling terms, that was like a that was like a non-title belt night. I think that was like oh, a- <laughs> sure, <laughs> of course, of course, it was just a house show. It wasn't WrestleMania or anything like that. Have a good one, dude. Thanks so much. Take care, man. Cheers. All right, hey, uh, great stuff with Kenny Weeb. Uh, you know, tomorrow, folks, I'm uh, really looking forward to having Blue Bomber receiver Dalton Schoen on the program. Um, he's been. Uh, just a revelation for the club so far this year. We will look forward to having that for you on the program as well as Jeff Hamilton. A good chat with Hammer last night. I know he's going to have some interesting takes on where the Jets are right now and everything that we've been talking about for the last couple of days here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Hey, speaking of the Bombers, Princess Auto, great sponsors of the Blue and Gold and the hosts for all of you at the Princess Auto tailgate party before every Winnipeg Blue Bomber game was packed on Friday before the Stamps game and will continue to be for the rest of the season. Pop on out there early before every game. Get $5 beers, $3.50 hot dogs and pop. DJ Finesse spinning. Great entertainment as well as prizes from our friends at Princess Auto. Of course, Princess Auto is the place where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Um, we, uh, we will get to our, well, actually, I don't even know how we're going to do the Assiniboia Downs picks right now. Normally I'm a little bit more prepared, but the, uh, natural disaster that took place needing the moving of the studio impacted that. Uh, but we'll bring Remus in here in just a second and, uh, talk a little bit more about his big night at the track. And we'll also get to cool bet lines. Uh, but I did mention Breezy Bend, uh, our great golf sponsor, Number of Breezy Bend players playing in the amateur. And if you're thinking about getting out, the not auto court men's and women's amateur is Thursday and Friday out at Elmhurst. We'll see if we can get Munzee to come in with maybe a little update at some point on Friday's show. All right, let's get Remo back in here. And Remo, uh, it was perfect day to have uh, only a couple guests because I knew we would go long with Ken. Um, but it's almost crazy. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been talking about the Jets on the air since the team came here in 2011. And this offseason has been unlike anything we've had before. And uh, to be honest, even here now in the middle of July, we still don't have a lot of clarity on so many of the things that we've been talking about every day here on WST. Yeah, I've been w- sitting here waiting for a defense trade. Got to clear up that log jam, which you and Ken talked about. I thought that was kind of item number one. Find room for some of these young guys and get some, you know, try to shift some of the salary from you know, a $3 million defenseman to a forward who can help you score as depth. Maybe we'll see that later. Maybe there are some of those free agents 
out there who can help you score. Um, you know, Sonny Milano, I've seen mentioned in chat, Nito Nito Riders, a guy I like, but he might want a big deal. But it seems like as I think as far as the free agency goes, the longer you're a free agent, maybe the lower contract you you're gonna get and you're kinda, you know, if you want the big deal, you gotta say accept it right away and the longer you wait, the more you know, the less teams available with a lot of money to spend. So I think it's something that we'll wait and see what are these guys going to get. And we're still waiting. Nazem Kadri and John Klingberg, the top two names, who I think were the, some of the top names to begin free agency last Wednesday, they still haven't signed. So um, there's still you know, still stuff to come, even though we're, uh, well, closer to the end of July than mid-July. Yeah, that being said, there is quite a bit of time. And, and I think, and this really did come out in that conversation with Ken, the challenge of the Cheval Day off right now with the current cap situation around the league is significant in moving, whether it's a defenseman or two, and certainly in Captain Blake Wheeler. And I think these deals are being worked on or being discussed on a daily basis, and but they're challenging. And they might need a third team involved, and they could take a little while. Um, that being said, as I mentioned for us, we're more than happy to have this drag on and talk about it every day when uh, here on Winnipeg Sports Talk because it's pretty clear that Winnipeg Jet fans in this sporting community are here for it as we've seen these numbers um, explode each and every day. By the way, I should mention this again. If you're with us and you haven't already, hit that red subscribe button. It's completely free. You'll get our latest content into your YouTube feed. Whenever you log on and we're live every day at one o'clock central. And of course, for you folks that normally or prefer getting it via audio, uh, we load the show immediately after we finish up each and every day. And it should be in your podcast feed, whether you get it at Apple or Spotify in and around three 30, just in time for your drive home. Um, Remo slow night tonight. Let's get to the cool bet lines. And we do have the AL and NL going up in the all-star game. A very near miss last night on your boy J-Rod at 8-1 to one to win the home run derby. I thought we had that, but uh, it was Juan Soto getting it. I mean, he had 32. Rod, Rodriguez had 32 in the first round, 31 in the second round. I thought that with all those home runs, he should have had the advantage of hitting last, but I guess they just flipped coins, and he was always the first guy. Yeah, a lot of controversy if you bet on the home run derby last night. Uh, so I don't know if you saw, but it was <laughs> who, who was it? Kyle Schwarber. He had a home run that didn't count, and then I think Soto hit one after time expired. Darren Rovell wrote about this, and look, if you're going to be betting a lot of money, I think people want to have a legitimate competition. However, I mean, I don't think you should be throwing down a lot of. I think we all know that this is how it works. You know. They sometimes they miss home runs. It's not exactly scientific. <laughs> sometimes you know guys throw one at the buzzer. I think there used to be a rule where you could only throw a pitch until your previous one had landed. I don't know if that's still in effect or not. But guys were just going rapid fire at the end. So I think if you're betting on the home run derby, you're gonna know that it's kind of you know not exactly by the book <laughs> at times. So um, J Rod, great showing. I I suggested him. I also suggested Soto and Acuna. It was Soto who won. The guy who's looking for north of four hundred forty million dollars on his next <laughs> on his next round. But great, you know, it's great. I love seeing Griffey out there. Um, the Hortman Derby so much fun. You get the chain after the tribute to Pujols, even if he didn't win, and maybe 
you know, lucked his way into a win over Schwarber. Um, I mean, the guy's an absolute legend, Albert Pujols. In, so, so, I mean, it was great. I mean, the whole, the All-Star game is great. There's nothing else going on, so I tuned in. Yeah, and, and the All-Star game will be fun tonight. I mean, certainly when it comes to All-Star games, I mean, baseball has it better than ever. But as I mentioned earlier, and I think off the top of the show, there's never been a simple tweak to rules that have done more for an event in sports than the All-Star game. That thing was borderline unwatchable before they introduced the uh, the clock. And now with the clock, it is absolutely must-see TV and has turned into one of the coolest events on the baseball calendar all year. Uh, tonight, though, as I said, very, very slow night. ALNL, American League minus 104, National League minus 118. I think I'm just going to roll with the AL. They won five in a row. They always seem to get it done one way or the other, Remo. And, uh, you know, in a game that's essentially a coin flip, although you get a bit better odds on the AL, despite the fact that Kate and Clayton Kershaw is starting back in uh, in L.A. in his home park. Um, we know that the starters only go an inning or two. And uh, I, mean, I think really this game is anyone's ball game. So we go a little bit on the streak in history and a little bit on the odds and take the American League. What do you think? Yeah, the... All-Star game is kind of weird. If you look at the winner's history, or I think the last, like, 20 years, sometimes one league goes on a run, and then another league goes on a run. So go with the streak and take the sure, take the underdog. Why not? My, or Is that an underdog minus 104 yeah. to minus 118? Does that count? So you're getting better money. Uh, and maybe the NL does have home field advantages. It is in, um, is in L.A. But sure, let's go. I'll go with AL. I don't know if there's any, any good props here. That we can look at? <laughs> Not yet. I imagine that they might closer to the game once yeah. they get the rosters, have maybe MVP voting or something like that. But um, right now, you've got the uh, you know the game, the total, which is 7.5, um, as well as money line as well. And hey, uh, let's just take a quick look at the, the CFL odds. By the way, um, we did our picks for the lock shop earlier today. Um, that was when, if you want to have a good laugh, when the fire alarm started... Uh, was towards the end of that program, and it seriously impacted my ability to uh, talk about the All-Star game. Dusty sort of held it down for the end of the golf picks going forward. Um, but we've had a few, little bit of line movement right now. Uh, Montreal was a two-point favorite in Ottawa when we did the show. They're now three-point favorites. I kind of wish I'd got that extra point on Ottawa. That being said, um, Hamilton, seven-point underdog in B.C., and interestingly enough, I really thought that this line would go the other way. The Bombers opened as eight-point favorites against the Edmonton Elks. And uh, it's now seven and a half right now. I still think that that might get close to ten by the time the game goes off. But uh, as of right now, Bombers only seven and a half-point favorites at Coolbet. And the Argos, five-and-a-half-point underdogs against the Rough Riders. That was six-and-a-half last night. That was the one game I jumped on quickest, Remo. We know the potential COVID issues with the riders. We know how banged up Cody Fajardo is. And we know that Toronto just beat Saskatchewan last week. I'm expecting a suspension for Williams as well. So uh, to get, whether it's six and a half, six, five and a half, I think this is going to be a tight game. Wouldn't even surprise me if Toronto won in Saskatchewan as a plus 165 underdog. Yeah, Toronto's look good at times with their throwback, throwback roster. So we'll see what happens. I guess we're kind of waiting on injuries. Um, we, I see people in chat has pointing out the Bombers injury report, which just came out, and uh, I'll bring it up. Uh, they did tweet it out, and before I do that, I do have to give a shout-out to Greg Ellingson, who was named a uh, top performer. Absolutely. Uh, uh, what a game of, he of had week. last week. Um, I mean, his hands on some of those catches near the sidelines, he just puts them out and hits them and, 
and it sticks. So, I mean, really impressive performance. But here's the injury report. Maybe this is why the line moved a Uh-oh. bit uh, as I bring it up here. Okay, we have Mike Miller, ankle, did not practice. Johnny Augustine, ankle, did not practice. Now, some other big ones. Pat Newfeld, hip, did not did not practice. Stanley Bryant, resting veteran, did not practice. And Greg Ellingson, hip. So I think it's it's early. I think you want to wait till end of the week. No, but I wonder if that is um, why the line did move half a point yeah i mean i guess it it could be um i guess when i look at this game i mean i think the bomber offense is going to put up points into the mid-20s for sure and i just don't know how the edmonton elks uh with their offense and taylor cornelius are going to put up more than 14 or so against um you know the best defense in the canadian football so i like the bombers regardless of whether it's eight eight and a half seven i mean i think they can win by double digits in this game Looking forward to it. And that's an 8 o'clock game on Friday, Reem, but we're going to get a double header on Thursday. Sort of interesting. you got the early game between Ottawa and Montreal and then Hamilton, B.C. late. So uh, while it's been a very slow, this is the most dead part of the sports calendar, the first part of the week where baseball's off, we're going to get a great way to get back into the Canadian football swing of things with two games on Thursday night. Oh, yeah. I'm usually a big fan of the Saturday double header. Um, you know, I usually drive back from the lake in time. I get to see the late one, but sure. Let's go with, uh, Montreal and Ottawa at six Thursday and then Hamilton in BC, uh, Hamilton coming off their big comeback win and BC who seemingly has every second week off. I mean, we looked at the standings. Bombers have played six BC's played four, uh, and we're in week seven. So I'm looking forward to seeing Nathan Rourke back in action. So uh, that late game will be fun. Uh, on Thursday, but uh, yeah, and then we got what Saturday, Toronto, Saskatchewan rematch, and then Winnipeg, Edmonton. Nice late one Friday. Big fan of that. Yeah, no doubt about it. Of course, uh, everything available for you at Cool Bet. If you haven't already used the promo code WST and played it, uh, 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 Cool Bet uh, on your first deposit, throw in WST, you'll get a 100% bonus up to 200 bucks on your first deposit. All right, before we finish up, Remo, I don't have picks ready. I might have to tweet them out afterwards so I can get a little bit of time to take a look at what is going on with the track. But uh, both of us had winners last night. You had your biggest day of the season so far. And uh, I came through. That $2 bet I made on a horse in race seven paid off 35 So I had a nice plus 15 but that was nothing close to the 80 bucks that you banked last night. Uh, you're back. Heck of a way to start I'm, off the week. I'm back. Watch out for me. I was up uh, I was up 80 uh, yesterday. Though, Which were the bets that you won? Okay, this was the best one. I bet $4 on this horse to win uh, called Really Slow. <laughs> and uh, I just from the name. And of course, of course, Really Slow won. Uh, that was the big winner, and I also bet $10 on my horse. So, yeah, I bet $4 on really slow. <laughs> Race three. So what did that one pay? It paid twenty one eighty on four. That's pretty good. And then on race, uh, which I bet on Maybella, race five to win, I bet $10, and that paid seventy eight fifty. So that was, that was a big win, a big win for me. Uh, I have a couple bets tonight. I'll pull them up. I'm just going with uh, going with the names. Let me bring it up here. Sorry, I'm pulling up the races on on Assiniboia Downs. 
looking for, and you can watch it on YouTube too. That's the best part. Us is pulling it up and watching. You know what? I did the same thing last night. I was out with some uh, friends. And I went home and realized, oh, I wonder how things are going. And I just went and sped up, watched the races as if they were live. And uh, glad I had a little piece of action on race number three because uh, it was, or sorry, race number seven because it wasn't too good beforehand. But uh, all came through at the end. Yeah, and someone asks, is it possible to bet on the downs online and watch and bet? Yes, hpibet.com. That's how we're betting online, and you can watch it on their YouTube channel. So race three, I like Quinella, Truly and Terrific, and Skyview. It's a bit of a chalk one, but I, I'm a big fan of Truly and Terrific. You get to know these horses when you're betting on them so much. Ooh, uh, I think I might have to take Zig. Shout out Zig yeah, for Cassie, I thought one of our favorites. Okay, Button Mushroom won big for us the other day. So button mushroom to win. Oh, there five. it is. And look at it still. What? 50 yeah. to one. The opening. Uh, the opening. And, That's right. Button mushroom, which was the big, big winner for the entire Winnipeg Sports Talk gang. When we had everybody yeah. out last Tuesday. So I'm back on button mushroom and I got $10 on race five, horse four. Interesting times. Just like we're living in interesting times. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> what a situation. What, what is, yeah. yeah. I, next thing we know, we're going to be seeing a horse called What a Situation. So, um, there we go. Speaking of What a Situation, I just had one of these weird moments where I'm in the middle of the show focusing and I sort of look and then I turn right and realize that you're right there. Um, yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> it's not happening very often. We're in the same room. If you are, if you tuned in a little bit late and wondering why uh, I look a little bit different and where our spot is, we had a, uh, a ridiculous fire alarm, fire alarm incident during the lock shop leading into the program and I had to call a quick audible, get in the, uh, get in the whip and head on over to Remus's. So uh, we apologize. We started a little bit late today, but uh, it was the best way to actually have a show without an ear splitting fire alarm going off nonstop during the, uh, during the program. Uh, folks, if you do, if you're wondering about my picks, I will make them a little bit later on and I'll tweet them out at Hustlerama. Uh, and uh, of course we'll talk about them tomorrow. And again, live racing tonight, 7 30 PM. Thought it was going to rain all night. If it's actually going to be this nice out right now, I'm going to actually head out to the track. And of course, tomorrow as well, 7.30 parade to post. Um, lots of fun today. I know what everyone's coming out here for. I mean, certainly we've been talking about what's happening with uh, the Winnipeg Jets offseason. It was great to have Mo Khan from Montreal join us, one of our favorites, and an extended conversation with the one and only Ken Weeb. And uh, we'll continue it tomorrow. We are going to be talking with Jeff Hamilton on all this uh, topics, maybe get another guest, but we will also have Winnipeg Blue Bomber receiver and rookie sensation Dalton Schoen join us on the program. So make sure you join us for the latest on the Jets offseason, the Bombers, and much more tomorrow at 1 o'clock right here on our YouTube channel. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again to all the sponsors. Thanks to everyone for popping in today and continuing this uh, huge run for us with everything happening off ice for the Winnipeg Jets. Have a great one. We'll see you 22 hours from now, 1 o'clock tomorrow, right here on the Winnipeg Sports Talk YouTube channel. Have a great night. Oh, my God. Oh! Shut it down. Let's go home. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.